Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Right. Yeah. Well, even the name 
Immortan obviously seems to skew towards immortal, you know? I mean, so, you know, if he wasn't supposed to be in character years before or later, I've never been able to figure out when Fury Road is supposed to take place. I, I, or if it's supposed, it's supposed to be a total to take, uh, later after he yeah. gets stranded in the desert. But then right. it might be for the uh, road warrior because he still has the car. If you remember the port, the car gets trashed in uh, road. Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's not a bad theory. It's like yeah. uh like one day I came home from work. I had a really boring day at work and I sat down and was doing all this research on the Star Wars movies and I came home and I was like trying to show Abby this is the exact order you're supposed to watch the Star Wars movies in and she was like uh, I guess you had a busy day at work today, huh? One, two, three, four. Let's see. One, two, three. Uh, Rogue One. Yep. Four. Uh, Solo. Wait, Solo, then Rogue One, then four, five, right. six. Right. Then seven, eight, nine, and then The Mandalorian. Yep. It all works. Although, some of the. Some of the scenes from The Mandalorian do seem to fit in from like <clears throat> different different chapters of the movie, so I'm not really sure how that fits in, but it's still a fun show. And all those movies that you just mentioned and The Mandalorian, that's all the Star Wars stuff that I care about. I don't care about the cartoons, I don't care about the comic books, I don't care about the books. The movies that you just mentioned. I don't care about any. You're breaking up on me pretty bad. I can't. I can't really hear you. Oh, sorry. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. No. Nope. I got you. Yeah. But yes, you're not. You were too far north. I think I lost I think I lost you. Uh, well, what I said I can't I can't hear you. I'm losing you. But because it's Maine and not too many big cities, 
didn't have any inner city theaters either. Right? Like, uh, obligatory Tarantino reference. That's why his part of Grindhouse was, uh, a drive-in movie and not a Grindhouse movie. <laughs> right? <clears throat> right? Because oh. Death Week would have played Gangbusters in the drive-in. Oh, yeah. And, it, I mean, like most Tarantino movies, it wears its uh, influences on its sleeve. Like, you can see, I mean, they even bring up other, like, you know, drive-in, great yeah, star movies. Uh, Vanishing yeah. Point, Lost, Gone in 60 Seconds. White Light, White Heat. Like, yeah, White Light, yeah. 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 But, but so, the first part, Planet Terror, you would definitely see a movie like that in a grindhouse. Pleasy, gory, yeah. splatter design. Cause, and we're going to be talking about 42nd Street tonight, if you haven't guessed by the title. But, yeah, they were a rougher kind of exploitation movie than you got down south. Like down south, we would have the nudie films and the uh, corn porn films, as I call them. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you probably didn't get to see any of the corn porn films until you got into the Something Weird catalog, did you? Right. so here are some interesting things i was thinking about today about 42nd street it was located in the center of the broadway theater hub so all around 42nd street there were playhouses that were showing legitimate broadway plays And then you'd go down 42nd Street, and it was like a gateway to the real live version of Dante's Inferno. And one of the major landmarks was the Playland Arcade. And once you were past the Playland Arcade, it was adult bookstores, gun shops, drugs, uh, a lot of Theaters had live sex shows, usually S&M themed. Uh, There are rumors of pedophiles, prostitutes, some of the best movie theaters to ever show some of the best Grindhouse films on the big screen ever. So, you know, you give some, you take some. Well, as many screens as they had there, you had to find something you wanted if you were an exploitation fan. You would have the Arrows, which was straight porn. The Arrows 2, which was gay porn. You would have the Arrow, which would show all the exploitation, the action-type exploitation films. And I forget the theater's name, but is to quote Joe Bob Briggs, he's like, you know what my favorite Grindhouse movie was? 
And they're like, what? And I went to this one theater and had my favorite movie all time. It was called Always Five Kung Fu Hits Plane. <laughs> right? Now, that was probably the New Amsterdam because the New Amsterdam was famously known for pretty much bringing Kung Fu to America. Uh, they were one of the first theaters on 42nd Street to feature mostly Kung Fu films. Um, and this is actually a funny story that I just found out the other day. Uh, the slang term for marijuana, Chiba, actually comes from 42nd Street, up from the New Amsterdam, from kids who wanted a $5 bag of weed, and they liked Sonny Chiba movies. So somehow this became like the term for, for weed. I never knew that. I never put it together. I mean, you know I'm a Sonny Chiba fan, and you know I smoke marijuana, but yeah. I never put those two things I never uh, put those two things together. Uh, yeah. I want to watch a Chiba film. I'm dying from Chiba. That but is the one thing people don't realize. Bruce Lee, by himself, was the driving guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's but why I say the new empathy on the dudes. Right. But that's why I say the New Amsterdam was really the theater that brought kung fu movies to America because they they that was the movie that was the theater that showed enough Bruce Lee movies that kids were showing up. This is like talk about like your Star Wars, you know, the kids that wait in line to see the new Star Wars movie wearing their Darth Vader costumes and stuff like that. Kids used to line up at the New Amsterdam wearing like full on karate outfits, even if they didn't know any karate. They were just, you know, yeah, they were just, they wearing were, the kung fu and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, the kung yeah. fu. Um, uh, my my favorite. But my favorite. Here's what most people said when they first start. What was the first big kung fu hit and the first big kung fu star? The first first big kung fu hit. I, mm-hmm. I I don't know for sure, but I would guess Enter the Dragon. Mm. Five Fingers of Death. Oh, Five Fingers of Death. Yep, that makes sense. Five Fingers of Death. Um, Shaw Shaw Brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was that trying was to remember. The first I one to really And then, yeah. because Five Fingers of Death was a hit, Warner right. Brothers looked at the best guys they had that were over in Hong Kong, and the biggest money made over there was Bruce Lee. Because before yep. them, all the Shaw Brothers films were period pieces. Bruce Lee yep. was the first one to take the movies into modern day. Yeah. See, that's one of the that's one of the problems I have with kung fu movies in general. Although I enjoy I enjoy them to some degree. I just like you said, most of the early ones are period pieces and I just I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff. It has to be really engaging for me 
to to engross myself in any kind of western or kung fu film or you know just any kind of period piece i like i like films that take place in modern times or you know at least in the time at which they were made like if i'm watching a film from the 70s and it's taking place in the 70s it doesn't take me out of the story but if i'm watching a movie from the 70s that takes place in the you know 1800s to be really engaging to keep my attention and you know yeah kung fu films are kind of just like candy anyway you know like most of the time even if you can follow the story it doesn't always make sense so and but a lot of that of course yeah. is lost in translation lost in translation kind of dubbing stuff you know i understand that so but yeah i'm not a i i still tune into you know kung fu theater here on uh tv sometimes and just you know, blow through a bunch of kung fu movies while I'm yeah. That's other how stuff. you and a lot of us got to see the kung fu films first that weren't Bruce Lee or the big hits was the syndicated kung fu theater package. Yep, kung fu theater. Yep, they used to do. They we talked about this films before. Like, uh, yeah. No, they would have films like. Street Games of Hong Kong, uh, Slaughter in San Francisco, uh, Master Killer, a.k.a. 36 Chamber Shaolin. That one is amazing to see on the big screen. Back when it was going, uh, you know I've talked about Central Cinema before. Yeah. Every Thursday of the month, they had Kung Fu Theater, where they would show a Kung Fu film. They show films like uh, Story of Ricky, which is definitely a Deuce film. Uh, the Shaw Brothers films, uh, uh, Police Story. Yeah, see, now Jackie Chan is one that. You know, I like all of his films, even the period pieces, but I do appreciate the fact that, you know, in his the middle of his career there, like, uh, you know, in the 90s, he kind of brought everything into the present, and he's pretty much been working with that since then. Not all of his newer films are as entertaining as even some of those older period pieces, but I mean... He's still got the moves, and that that dude does some incredible stunts. I mean, there's no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but my you had to my go to favorite Chinatown to see Haunt Jackie Chan films. Like my yeah. favorite story, the first time I seen Police Story Three, aka Super Cop, it was a dub yeah. Mandarin print with Chinese subtitles. It was a no one had Mandarin subtitles <laughs> on a Mexican channel, so it was in Spanish. And I didn't care because it was super cop. You know, one of the best fucking cuckoo films ever. And then when Miramax was super cop over here, I didn't realize what it was, so I went to theaters and seen it. I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be. Hey, I've seen this before. This is not no damn super cop. This is Lee Story 3. <laughs> right? Oh. Well, 
Kung Fu movie is actually the film that uh, that Robert Klaus directed after he did Enter the Dragon, and that's Black Belt Jones. I love that movie. I love oh, Black God, Belt Jones. Yeah. <laughs> one bit yeah. that I'm always, I, I want to die when I hear it in a Batman movie. Who the hell hit yeah. me? Batman, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> me me and my friends always used to laugh because there's the part where uh, the bad guys attack the dojo and one of the guys, one of the good guys runs over to the phone, you know, it's like the pay phone and calls Black Belt Jones and he says, Belt. There's trouble at the dojo. And for years, my friends and I would just call each other up and randomly say that and then hang up the phone. Bill, there's trouble at the dojo. (laughs) (laughs) And that one scene where it puts lights on, all of a sudden, Black Belt Jones has a hat on, and the hat's fucking gone. And it just expects (laughs) you to accept that. Like, what the fuck? Where the hell does that go? Just go with it. Okay. <laughs> the only yeah. other thing, uh, so the New Amsterdam was fairly uh, integral in bringing kung fu films to America. I think their only other claim to fame is they hosted the world premiere of Death Wish 3, which is not a kung fu movie, yeah. but I think, it's their other, I think it's their only other claim to fame as a 42nd Street uh, institution. Well, there's a lot of them. If you were hardcore, like uh, one of the best commentaries ever on a kung fu film is on the forty second is on the forty second chamber of Shaolin because it's Ray Logan and RZA. Yep. Right. Hearing RZA talk about that shit, and he knew everybody and everything. It was great. Yeah, I Talk mean... Talk about, we go to you, the damn theaters, there will be no subtitles. We didn't give a <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he obviously... He would laugh. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was I was just saying, obviously, you know, with RZA being, like, the, you know, brains behind the Wu-Tang Clan, he already knew everything about kung fu movies 20 years ago. The amount of knowledge he must have gained now that he's rich and famous enough to meet some of these people and buy Quentin Tarantino said that RZA has more Kung Fu movies on original 35 millimeter than, than Tarantino himself does. So. Yeah. And uh, RZA would talk about, Paulish talked about on there where he would sneak out of, he would lay out of school and go down there and watch every five movies, didn't matter what it was. And he would laugh when people would get pissed off because they would not only show kung fu films. They would slip in Asian sex films. They would slip in Asian horror films. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And they'd be like, what the hell? Another... Another theater 
uh, on 42nd Street that specialized in a certain type of film was the Roxy. And the Roxy specialized in black exploitation. And Roxy I Roxy was the cult film one. Yeah. Because what they, film had its 42nd premiere in the Roxy and made right? its home for maybe over 12 years. Right. Uh, My the, favorite. The, the big yeah, the Roxy. I have a nice picture of the Roxy, which makes me laugh every time I look at it because the poster in the uh, in the lobby is for Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which you know everybody loves, yeah. and it has it has the original tagline "Rated X by an All White Jury." <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know how they got away with it. They called up Mario Lemon. Well, you can't say that. Well, if I submitted my movie, would it get an X? Uh, yeah. Are there any black people or any people of any other color on the NBA voting committee? Uh, no. Uh, another movie that had a long run at the Roxy that and I think you and I have talked about this before on another one of our podcasts, uh, Watermelon Man. I I think that one had a that pretty was, long run. Yeah, that's after, yeah, that's after Sweet Sweet Back was a big hit. But yeah, Watermelon yeah. Man is great. It has one of my favorite analyze of a movie ever and when uh, people had to fight because originally right. they wanted to have the ending be the black guy, him change back to being white. But he kept it where he stayed black. Like, the guy, his friend comes up and says, you ever miss being white? He's like, no, I like being a nigga. What I'm talking to us, I like being a nigga. That way you know where you stand in the world. <laughs> right? And, and don't forget, no, it was the new Amsterdam where uh, the midnight movie started because it was uh, midnight, December 31st on January 1970, I think, yeah, 70, where uh, uh, John Lennon had just got up and shown some of his short films. And then he got up on stage at 11.59 and said, I have this film which I love a lot and I would like you to watch after that. And what was that movie? I have no idea. Oh! Oh! Well, that that is one of the top five classic midnight movies of all time. No doubt about that. Yeah, El Topo. And what was funny is that once they, El Topo was doing so much great money at the Midnight Circuit that yep. they decided, well, this movie's so good, we're going to put it out of regular daytime slot. And guess what? It flopped 
probably put him a little bit back up to the midnight slot. Right? Mm. Yeah. And the second film they moved in there, there was uh, The Harder They Come. Yep. I never really cared for that movie. I I don't know. I've tried to give it a chance just as a fan of, like, you know, underground exploitation, you know, black exploitation, all that. You know, I've tried to give it a chance, but I don't know. I don't care for The Harder They Come. I know it's a big cult favorite, but, eh, it doesn't do much for me. I've well, never cared for it. That was the film that broke that broke reggae music over here. For sure, yeah. I mean, the soundtrack is great. I don't mind the soundtrack at all. I just, the movie just doesn't do much for me. But you're right. Uh, yeah. For it's, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my story with it. It was about 1984, 85. My dad took me out to grocery. And there was this little video store next to the store he bought it to. So I went in there to see if they had anything for sale. They had the harder they came. Oh, yoink. Bye. <laughs> nice. And I went home, watched it. The next day, I went to my local shop, and this guy's cool as hell. I'm like, uh, I want the harder they come. Ever tell you on Monday? Yes. So I was <laughs> turn around the next I'm hoping maybe going to a movie and then buying the <laughs> well, let's see what else we got here. Uh, yeah, the video uh, that was there. Let's see, there was uh, a pink flamingo. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. Probably, I would say Pink Flamingos is probably my favorite midnight movie. If I had to pick one of the quote-unquote midnight movies, I'd say Pink Flamingos probably. Pink Flamingos is probably my favorite. It's funny because of the reason John Waters made it. Right. The fuck was in Stoner Friends. documentary footage of him talking about it he always mentions that and uh, he always mentions that the only places that he could show his earlier films were in like church basements uh you know they if he went and asked you know they'd say oh yeah you can show your you can show your movie in a you know church church basement and you know with no idea what they were getting into now i highly doubt that any of the church people were there, they probably just let him use the basement for the night and said, yeah, just lock up when you leave or whatever. Because I'm sure if any of them ever stood around and watched one of his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they ever stood around and watched one of his short films, they probably would have been like, yeah, we're not going to be doing this anymore. Uh, Nope. (laughs) But, I don't know. It's funny to think that. There was uh, Eat Your Makeup, uh, which is the only one that's Films that's never really been released 
son of his. Yeah. So no. I opened the door that came out in the DVD box set. Oh, there's a there's let's there's a John was, Walters. Let's say if there's a generation of of these or a millennial, what would be yeah. the first thing they would say when I said New World Pictures? New Line Cinema. <laughs> I mean, New Line Pictures. Oh! Go to the Range Trilogy. Yep. And then you go back generation to ours. Oh! Nightmare on Elm Street. But really, yeah. New Line Cinema started to distribute midnight movies and there. So, and the first really big hit we're going to talk about was Dun, dun, dun One and only John Waters' film, Female Trouble. Uh, yep. Flamingo. Uh, the one where Edith Matthews was the star. I forget what it's called. The, you know, where uh, Mink goes and uh, kills her husband, Kingdom. You're talking about Badlands? Like, or you're talking about, you're talking about uh, Female Trouble? <laughs> no, Female Trouble is the one where Levine uh, becomes a serial killer. Yeah, right. But you were asking about the name of the town? No, the one that John Waters did where uh, basically Meek Soul and her black mate kill uh, her husband because they cheat on him. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. What is that? Uh, Oh, for crying out loud. Um, John Waters most obscure film, but yeah. Until Polyester, well, even Polyester, well, pretty much almost all of John Waters' films were distributed by New Line. Yep. Yeah, but really, in the news, the really first films started there were the Ruffy, the... Uh, what is it, the one, not Elsa, the one about the girls, they put out a free pack of something weird. Uh, Olga. Yeah. Yep, I've got Olga on my list here. Uh, the Olga films, they're not, they're not quite the same as Ilsa. Uh, you know. No, we'll get into those, but. Yeah, we'll get into well, those, but... Old, well, you can see where I can get Olga from Elsa from Olga. Yeah. Just for the name. Oh, yeah. But the Olgas were pure sadism. It was like yep. 80 minutes of girls getting tortured in film. S&M film. 
Olga's House of Shame. That was the first one I ever saw. Yay. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh there's uh, White Slaves like of Chinatown. Chinatown, which was the first one. Yeah. And Olga's there's Dance Hall Girls. And there's a fourth one, too, I think. I think there were four of them all together. Yeah, there were three legit ones, and the fourth one, which was basically a greatest hit Right. But yeah, most the older films had Audrey Campbell, and it was yep. basically 90 minutes of girls getting beat. Oh, and don't forget being pimped out. <laughs> yeah, it was lost well, by slavery. Right. Well, yeah. But it's, but they, that's actually, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of whipping, a lot of pimping, a lot of smoking pot. Um, it's really the perfect movie, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole yeah. series. This was like, yeah, it was like down south. We would in the driving, we would have some duty. <laughs> What's funny uh, right? is it took forever to get. Russ Myers films to be shown on the news. Right? You would never see the the limp dick going back and looking at the nudie cuties today. They're boring as shit. Oh yeah. I I have a lot of uh I have a lot of those on, you know, I'm a big fan of something weird video. So I have a lot of the old nudie cuties on VHS and DVD and they're fun to watch, yeah. but yeah, yeah. They, they, they have, they, they've got nothing on the way porn progressed through the seventies. I mean, if you're into oh, that, I mean, I don't yeah. <laughs> the roughies and stuff like, uh, I've got one of the greatest roughy double features Discs from something weird, which has uh, the Defilers. Yep. Yep, I have that one too. And one of H.G. Lewis's and Dave Friedman's best titles ever. I'm just talking about the title itself, and it's a great little movie. Scum of the Earth. <laughs> You know what, Nate? I want you to take that girl and go in the other room and make me some pictures. Take some pictures for us to sell. (laughs) You know, the ones that sell. (laughs) And they have the best speeches ever. Oh, yeah. Room is It was always in something we sell. Oh, yeah. You're my little goody goody. And now you're outraged. You know what you are? You're gaming merchandise. And this is a fire sale. <laughs> yep, they put that at the beginning of every something weird video. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, it was such a great speech, too. You're damn good. You're fire sale. And now you're outraged. You know what? You're going to do what 
tell you. I tell you. So, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, yeah. Eight, um, eight was the one who got more into the rough than yeah. Did the Gore films and yeah. the, the Moonshine films. Right. So Herschel Gordon Lewis and Dave Friedman, they work together and quite frequently, kind of like the George Lucas and Steven Spielberg of today. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. And but, you uh, know what? Blood breeds breed got away with what it shown. No one had ever made just a full-on splatter film before. Right. So the censors weren't prepared for it. <laughs> right. But another forty-second. Uh. What they what they did is that he went in the town and the pump up publicity to blood beat. He fired an injunction to try to get the movie banned. Something happened that he didn't expect. Which was? The injunction went through. <laughs> so he almost fucked himself for publicity. He fucked himself. So he had to get his own injunction taken off his own. Well, another 42nd Street institution was the Rialto Theater, which is where they showed a a lot of uh, H.G. Lewis's uh, films early on. And I believe I cannot be, I, I can't be certain of this without Googling it. And even then the information might not be correct, but I believe that this is where Frank Henenlotter and uh, so, I can't remember Johnny Legend. I think Johnny Legend and Hank Henenlo- Frank Henenlotter. I think the Rialto is where they found a lot of the old original 35 millimeter prints that they later went on to use to create, uh, you know, along with um, Mike and Lisa to create something weird video. I think that's where a yeah, lot of those what original. what happened was that uh, once something weird started, the Rialto was closing down. And they even called him up. He's like, you, need, you guys need to take him to the Rialto. Uh, okay. And they went there, and it turned out that the cameraman had a bunch of film prints that had hidden there. But yeah, the first big name on the news was Bob Creasy. He yep. was the guy behind the rougher stuff. But the, the one who started the roughy was Tyler uh, with there. But yeah, Bob Creasy yeah. did uh, the older films. Yeah. And, uh, uh, how, House on Bear Mountain, which is a great fucking movie. I watch it every Halloween. That, that 
weird. Uh, we just, uh, uh, kiss me quick in the house on Bear Mountain. Kiss me quick in basically in Moody, but it's so fucking bizarre that I love it. Doctor Reed or I learn to stop worrying and enjoy the movie. That's the book I love. It. Well, and what it is is my- alien comes to Earth and his planet is about dead because there's no women there, so he's going to get women for breeding. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, my favorite Bob Crease is uh, Love Camp Seven. That uh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> What's funny yeah. is that that's one of the few titles that image would not let something weird put out. Yeah. Yeah, Barney mm. tried to put that out. I was like, we're doing a DVD. What? Love Camp 7. Wait. No, 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 no. Fuck you, no. But, 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 no. And actually, uh, Love Camp 7 was written by uh, R.L. Frost and Bob Cressy. And they yeah, had previously. Were a hell of a team together. They did some of the greatest sequels, like uh, A Scream in the Street. God, I love that one. And for people who say that Love Camp 7 is uh, racist because it, you know, or sexist because it, uh, it's a, it's a not exploitation film, obviously, about Young women yeah, who were tortured by Nazis. But they did another film before that, Black Gestapo. <laughs> so no, I that mean, was a, no. Uh, Love Camp I, Seven was the first. Yeah, the Black but, Gestapo yeah. was fucked up. <laughs> what happened not, is, is this black neighborhood where the mob is taking over they decide to use Gestapo training techniques to create the people's army <laughs> uh, that's a great movie I mean yeah. if, if, if you had to pick like you know, just a movie that embodies so much of 70s exploitation. I mean, Black Gestapo would be pretty high at the top of the list. I mean, it's it's got a little yeah. bit of everything. It's got a little bit of everything in there, you know? So, yeah. but yeah. And there was one film that I consider it was the number two drive-in film of all time. Well, number three. Oh. Yeah. But it was also what I consider the number one dude film of all time. And what's funny is... Oh. 
Last house on the left. House on the left. Oh, you fucking idiot. 
<laughs> we're both friends with uh, Mark Shepler, who was also in Last House on the Left. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I met talked him to him at a con. Him. It was like, hey, let's go to war realm. I'm like, yeah. who's going to be mm. there? I'm like, oh, I'm going to have uh, Camille Keaton. I'm like, cool. <laughs> And yep, we had somebody named Mark Sheffield. I'm like, what? We're going. <laughs> and what's yep. funny is when I met Mark Sheffler at the con, he was dressed to the nine. He had like the pork pie hat, full suit. He's a comedian's comedian, isn't he? Well, that's the funny thing is, you know, he was on uh, one of our podcasts a few years ago, and I only knew him from Last House on the Left. And then after we did the podcast together, we became friends on Facebook, and I found out that he was a stand-up comedian. So he and I talk about well, that sometimes. Cause... the episode that that you met him on, we were talking about comedy. He worked yeah. in Mitzi Shore. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's how, that's why I ended up talking to him more. I mean, I, I would have just left him alone after the, after we did the show with him. I wouldn't have normally, like, chased after him, you know. I'm not a star fucker. I wouldn't have, like, harassed him, but I was just like, oh, you're a stand-up comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian, too, so. Let's let's be friends, and so yeah, we have been ever since. Yeah, yeah. And we, well, now you know, on the show before Carl, he was definitely a star fucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll happen. Right. Yeah. But uh, so another interesting thing and about who was the king of the S and M team? That would be the other guys, not well, David Hess, but the other guy. The guy that played Weasel. Fred Lincoln. Oh, yeah. He really well, was the king. He was like the king of the underground S&M scene. And once a year on the dudes, he would hold a side ball. And you can just pretty much get out of that man. I will, I'm more of a friend of the dude, New York guy, New York side of the group, which yeah. is, and that Haven lover, uh, Long Jean Silver. Oh, God, love you. Love her to death. If you meet Gene Silver and you don't fall in love with her, there's something wrong with you, please. <laughs> I know that just sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially if you know hey. the adult film that she is famous for. <laughs> the only one that I know her from is Water Power. Yeah, she was in Water Power. You 
never heard of her solo film? No. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And she has one of the greatest news stories ever. Johnny Legend was trying to sell that movie. And he's like, there's a certain bit where every every guy that he they did, they tried to sell, come out of the movie, Boston. And what it is is it's her and a gay gay guy. And she talks about the ass with the stuff. Let's just not beat around the bush. And when you know, this is Johnny Legend we're talking about. When he seen that scene, he just like, ah! <laughs> and he's like, okay, projectionist, just mark at the start to the end of that scene, and we're going <laughs> to cut it out. <laughs> and when they did that thing, so, because New York, before porn started, Detroit, Well, what was the first film that and it was shot on the news that had hardcore scenes in it? Don't know. Mona the Virgin Myth, nineteen sixty eight, Bob Cricket. Oh about a girl and that one is hard to find uncut because it's about a girl who's addicted giving head because her father molested her as a kid. Yeah. That, see, now, nowadays a film like that would probably be treated with a little more sensitivity rather than being made into a straight-up porn film. <laughs> well, uh. you have the Bucky Beaver version that something weird put out on VHS, you're going to get it uncut. Nowadays, it's cut. And you can just check what things cut out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a... And don't forget... That, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, that reminds me of the George C. Scott uh, movie, Hardcore. Yeah, you know, that one on the news. Hi! Yeah. Home <laughs> And it centers around him trying to find his daughter, who he suspects has gone to do porn, and ends up seeing her in a in an X-rated movie on the deuce. And what's so. funny is that it was a meme nowadays, but you watch that scene in its context where you're going, turn it off! 
<laughs> a nasty, brutal film. Yeah. Um, it's like, I think that, uh, you know, the, the Al Pacino movie, uh, Cruising, uh, which examines the, like, you know, um, S&M side of... Yeah, the leather bar scene. The the leather bar scene, yeah. And, uh, that, that movie's... Uh, that movie's a little, it's a little dark, but not, not really. I mean, they, I think they play it pretty, uh, I think they play it pretty even. They do a good job with it. It's not offensive. Yeah. It's not and one of those, it's not one of those things yeah. that they're going to have to yank off the shelves, you know. Oh, Al has a great DVD, Blu-ray of cruising out there. Right. And what kind but, of sick son of a bitch would buy cruising on Blu-ray? <laughs> Probably you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and funny is 1979. Oh, cruising is bullshit. There never was anything like that on the news. Nothing. Put out. Did you get it when it first came out? 
Corruption, the one starring Jamie Gillis, the porno that Vinegar Syndrome put out. Are you there, Nate? There he is. You muted me? I don't know what happened. It's just like there. But did you get the porno film Corruption that uh, Vinegar Syndrome put out? No. Nope. I don't have a copy of that. I know the movie you're talking about, but I don't have a copy of it. Okay. If you got a first print of that, and you pushed down on it five times, a certain special feature pops up. So wait, you had to push, you had to push play five times in a row. Yeah, and 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 you're gonna hate yourself, cause. On this Blu-ray, once you do that, there's a special feature. And you know what it is? No, I don't, because I don't have the DVD or the Blu-ray. You're going to hate yourself. Uh, Last House on Dead End Street. Oh, I'd buy it just for that. Yeah, on the first print of Corruption. I don't know if the Blu-ray still has it. If you push down five times, this black cross showed up. And if you hit enter then, well, the same guy that directed Corruption directed Last House on Dead End Street. That one is... Well, it's one of the sleaziest and doofiest films I have the right. DVD of Black House on Dead End Street 2, but oh, corruption! As of well, I gave Carl the DVD version of it, and guess what he said to me after he watched Corruption? A porno film. This <laughs> is. Oh, it makes Richard Baller, a.k.a. the guy who did Last House on Dead End Street. Well, yes. Well, yeah. His porn directing name was Richard Mahler. Can you guess where he got his porn name from? Mm, no. So music. Richard Wagner. Right. Gustav Mahler. <laughs> it does make sense, though, that Last House on Dead End Street would be like a hidden special bonus feature on one of his other movies because he did direct a bunch of movies under a bunch of different names. Um, I think like Last House on Dead End Street I think the copy of it that I used to have was written by or directed by someone named like Fred Deakins or something 
Like, that was yeah. – I think he – yeah, something like that. He released it under a bunch of fake names over the years. Yeah. So, For the longest yeah. time, no one knew who directed it until Roger Watkins came out and said, okay, yeah, that was me. Right. <laughs> now, if you've seen any court films, they're not poor, but God are they. Like Midnight B, his name is Lisa Corruption. Oh, <clears throat> Midnight Heat is my favorite filmmaker. Yeah. What it's about is Jamie uh, Gillis plays a hitman and gets destroyed his mafia boss's wife. So the rest of the film is him in a sleepy juice motel waiting to get killed. And it has some of the greatest dialogue ever. It's like, it shows the homeless guys on the street, and then Gil goes, well, you know what the only difference between us and them are? What? One day they woke up and said, fuck it. I expect this. I expect to spend the last days of my life hiding out in a hotel waiting for someone to come kill me. It's a film on the news. Like I said, it's a sleazy, nasty, dark film. But if you watch it as a porno, you're going to be fucking disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, right. But if you watch it as a movie, holy shit, is it great. Same as Corruption, too. Corruption is one of those films you have to watch. If I describe it, you'll think I'm fucking insane. But, yeah, it's a great. Any of his movies are good. But, yeah. God. God. I mean, if you, if you watch a, like, if you watch a movie, like, let's just say, to to meet in the middle between our generation and any anyone younger who might be listening to this, but you watch a movie like Boogie Nights and you see those porno movies that they make that actually have a story behind them. That's not a that's not fictional. There actually are porno movies from the seventies and eighties that did have storylines. They weren't just the pizza guy knocking on the door and. Oh, I got your extra sausage right here, baby. Like, you know, there are actually... Yeah, that was the 90s when they started just doing that shit where, hey, it's a bunch of people, and they're going to fuck for 90 minutes. Right? (laughs) Yeah. No, porno movies actually used to have stories. Yeah. Yeah, well, Boogie Nights... Well, the problem with Boogie Nights is that yeah, he stole a lot of people's story and didn't pay him. Yeah. Like, Jack Horner is basically the guy who directed yep. Deep Throat, Donnie Amo, and look, well, and Bob Chen. Right. Because Bob Chen directed most of uh, John Holmes' movies and, well, yeah. But yeah, well, yeah. Dick, Dick, Last Dick House Lerner. on the Dead ends. Well, you 
know how most of the fans of the Savage a lot of people are like, well, I watched it after he would talk about it, and it was just, didn't live up to what they said. Last house on Dead Street does. Basically, it's about, well, what he was saying. I was going to say, they were definitely cashing in on uh, Last House on the Left with the Last House on the Dead End Street, House on the Edge of the Park, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. They, they were, yeah, they were cashing in on that, yeah. <clears throat> but they're all good uh, movies, if you, you know. Yeah. Last House on the Dead End The plot of it is, this guy gets out of the scene when the guy ate guys who ripped them off, and he killed them. It has a moment that drove me insane. There's a scene in it where they film it through this window, and the window looks just like movie ratio. <laughs> yep. And then it shows him when he kills the guy, he's stepping through that window like, no, no, what the
Avengers movie or a Star Wars movie, they've already got a built-in fan base. They don't really have to market them above and beyond the trailers, you know. But, you know, know, like, uh, my favorite Joe Dante movie is Matinee, and I love all of the all of the scams and schemes that uh, John Goodman's character goes through to get people to come see the movie. The fake protesters, he does all the, um, like, uh, William Castle type of uh, in-theater stuff. Yeah, basically, uh, based on William Castle. But what's sad is you have to get the fucking import region 2 version of Matinee that Arrow Video put out to get one of the best extras from it. Right. And he, well, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's the only way to get man. The movie <laughs> in the movie. The U.S. laser disc. They included as an extra, which is, Joe Dante actually filmed it as a 20-minute movie. And then he used it in the movie. Yeah. Which is the stupidest thing. Yes, I'm going to say this. The not having a missing reel in a movie is, man. You don't. (laughs) Who shoot it? The missing reel. No. <laughs> which, is one of the, which is the best joke about his part of uh, Grindhouse? One second. Oh look, it's Lou McGowan there. Next second, then missing reel. Oh shit! <laughs> Next thing we see. Everything's gone to shit. Characters right? are dying. The bar's <laughs> on fire. <laughs> so that never did happen to me in a movie theater. I have that never happened. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You remember that part in American movie uh, where uh, Mark's trying to finish his his film and he says uh they're trying to figure out the last scene they need and he says uh we can't just put a black screen up there that says sorry we didn't have enough money to finish this scene i've been to the movies a thousand fucking times and that's never happened (laughs) yeah Except for the, uh, no, I only see the one that would be Drive-In Massacre, where instead of actually having a climax to the movie, it just shows the last person in the movie that's supposed to be getting killed, and all of a sudden, black, there is a serial killer in the audience. Warning, there is a serial killer in the audience. The police are on their way. Thank you, <laughs> the management. Boom! It's over. Huh. 
Oh, that seems like it would have been pretty cool. I laughed. Yeah. I think think that would be a blast. That sounds like a blast to me. You know what thing driving massacre? As many PDs said as you own? (laughs) Oh, I, no, I have, yeah, I have a copy of Drive-In Massacre. I just said I think it would be fun. I thought you said you actually saw it at a drive-in. No, that's the movie, Driving Master. That's actually how it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I, I thought you meant that you actually saw it at a drive-in and people were pissed off about the way it ended. <laughs> no. No. There's no way you no. pissed off about it because as funny as it is. It's a great ending. So I was thinking but, about... Oh, I was thinking we about skipped it over about 20 minutes ago, but yeah. Nazi exploitation starting in and ended on the news. In reality, Elsa wasn't the first. It was just the biggest hit. The first one was Shadow Giddy by Kito Brad. And that's well no, there was Camp Seven. Not bad. And then I don't know. I the infamous deals Yeah, I have a lot of exploitation films that came before Ilsa, um, but Ilsa actually Wanda the Wicked Warden which was directed by Jess Franco and kind of wedged into the Ilsa movie, uh, Ilsa catalog. Yeah, they sold it as the third one because it had Dwayne Bourne in it. And it was called yeah. Ilsa, the Wicked Warden. And yes. if you get any box seven on DVD, Ilsa, the Wicked Warden is on there. But Ilsa, the Tigers of Siberia, the legit third yeah. Yeah. No, that was uh, like so. Basically, what they did with the Ilsa films is that they just took any film that Diane Thorne was in, where she played a domineering Nazi type criminal, and just renamed oh, no. it. Just renamed it. All these films came out within two to three years. It was like, okay, fuck it. Right. People got burned out in the Mac quick. There was Lost Camp 7. Which I mentioned. I think I mentioned it. I think I mentioned before, Love Camp 7 was my favorite, because that was the the Crest one. And I was the a night, big fan of Love Camp The Night Quarter. That was the art house. Yeah, the Night Quarter, right? I haven't... Man, I have a copy of that on VHS. Actually, very interesting story about that. Uh, I went to Puerto Rico... Uh, probably like 15, 20 years ago, 
I was in Puerto Rico, and I was on not on the main island. I was on this tiny little island, and there was a a video store on the island, and they it was a rental shop, but they had a big bin in the middle of the store where they were selling uh, VHS tapes that you know they were selling off their old VHS tapes and. That's where I got my VHS copies of the Night Porter, Blue Velvet, and Taxi Driver for like three dollars, a dollar a piece. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I I don't think about that often, but yeah, but yeah, you're right. The Night Porter was probably one of the earliest versions of what we now consider Nazi nosploitation, however you want to say it. But um, I don't really feel like that movie works the same way because it's it's not really about the you know it's not like Ilsa or Love Camp 7 it's not like a like a like a bunch of torture scenes and stuff like that it's it's more of like a bizarre love story between a former POW and a Nazi more of an SNL thing with the Nazi trappings than anything but there's Oh, right. But don't forget the moment. In Dale's image from the night order, Charlotte Rampling topless with suspenders and that Nazi hat on. And don't forget the uh, elbow length, uh, don't forget the elbow length uh, leather gloves. Please, don't forget the elbow length leather gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she. Leather yeah. fetish. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of those fetish guys. Bob, that's one of the funniest things about Bob Creasy. He said that he 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 stopped talking about his movie because most of the guys who watched his movie were the submissive types who were just into the oh, this is hard. Hi, guy. <laughs> right. Well, I'll honestly tell you, the the first reason that I ever watched Love Camp Seven was because I saw the trailer on some Grindhouse trailer DVD that I had, and when the Nazi soldier makes the naked girl bend down and lick his boots, I was like, I might be able to get into this. Oh, yeah, Bob Crazy was definitely into that. Don't forget uh, another great Bob Crazy film, which is The Climax of Blue Power. Right. Guy who uh, goes to steal a cop outfit and then forces girls to submit to him. There's only one of the 72 adult films where, and I do mean this, if I ever see anyone get turned on by this movie and start breathing heavily, I will shoot them in the head. And that's forced entry. Oh. Yeah, we've talked about forced entry before. Yeah, we've talked about that before on on the podcast. Yeah, that's a despicable, I don't know, pretty bad. (laughs) It's because he's so good at it. Well, you would think uh, Harry Reid would be 
a nice, affable guy. But then you watch him in this movie. <laughs> You're like, it's a gun. <laughs> right? Yeah.
It's like every time that any guy or him went up to her house, he's like, hi, how you doing? You want to say anything now? <laughs> right? Because well, if you look in the movie, her ass is legitimately purple. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's pretty realistic. I mean, there are a lot of effects in that movie that are not realistic, but yeah, the dartboard on the butt is pretty realistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the gal that he eats dinner off of. Right. Yep, that's got to be real, because that candle is definitely melting down the crack of her ass. No doubt about yeah. that. And it has some of the funniest lines, even in or out of context. Like, uh, like you don't know how many times me and my friends back then would be, like, walking around and we'd see a girl in the urinal. <laughs> yep. Uh, I know. The first time I ever saw that movie, I was watching it with a bunch of my friends. And after that line was delivered, I said, well, now I want to see someone go to the bathroom. And my friend, whose name is also Nate, was like, I'm sure you do, pervert. (laughs) (laughs) When I showed it to a couple of my friends to bring them out, one of them, Paul, looked at me. And my cousin Anson is like, we're going to hell for watching this. And all he <laughs> had seen is just the scene where they're lifting the girl out. And in my mind, I'm like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, Joel, Joel Reed directed another movie years before that, uh, which I also have a copy of. Sex by Advertisement, which is is a very fascinating film. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It does have some of the same elements of S&M and bondage and, and you know, much like Bloodsucking Freaks, but it's framed as a documentary about how perverts, uh, by advertisement, they, they place advertisements in local newspapers or they put flyers up around town to try to lure women into their bizarre uh, sex lives. And it's, it's a fascinating movie, actually. Uh, it gives you a real glimpse into exactly what we're talking about tonight, the, the whole 42nd Street atmosphere at the time where you could do something like that. You could you know, you could go to a sex shop and grab one of those free magazines and flip through the back to the advertisements and see these offers, you know, hey, you know, like like you were just saying, Stephen, uh, hey, do you want to come over to my house and throw darts at my ass or, you know, give me a call or do you want to come over and let me whip you? Like that, that was, I don't know for sure, but according to this film, it it seems like it was a very realistic possibility back then. So Yeah. Well yeah. That's cruising, that's part of it too. I mean, it's all gay. Oh. And here's something else. What other movie used the same club space as a movie? 
What other You're asking the same has the same kind of vibe as cruising? No, it actually used the same club space. It oh, I don't know. A, by your life, B, Fast Oh, yeah, I was going to bring up Basket Case as well, because that movie, we talked about Frank Hennon Lauder earlier and his involvement with Something Weird Video, and uh, yeah, yeah Basket Cage well, is one of my favorite movies. Guys like us. Well, not us, but yeah, if we would have lived near the dude, we'd probably been there like Frank Gimlin, just watching the movie. Yeah. And Basket Cage is a great movie to watch if you want to actually see some of that old school 42nd Street. Like that, you know, uh, when we were talking about Frank Hennenlauter, uh, being one of the, uh, I don't know if he was one of the founding members, but he was definitely a big part of how something weird video got off the ground. Um, but yeah, like basket case, he definitely showcases how beautiful 42nd street really was back then. And, you know, if you can look past the sleaze and the, and the drugs and the prostitution, but, just the landscape itself is beautiful. And the fact that you would have gotten to see so many amazing films on the big screen back then, you know, possibly after getting robbed or stabbed, but you still could have done it. I mean, that's great. Well, those days, right before it shut down in the mid-80s, fuck you, everybody. And you pretty much was rotting away Pretty much, well, I hate the Giuliani closure, but even me in 40 seconds, which is basically saying, God, to talk about it, by the time it was over, it was a mercy I think if they had kept those movie theaters open and just kind of moved out they did. some of the more some of the more seedy stuff, like if they had gotten rid of some of the porno shops and stuff like that, but they had kept all those movie theaters open. I mean, we'd be looking at yeah, like, uh, the thing that kept it alive during the last year. What they did was they had VHS projectors, and they would take porno videotapes or videotapes to the beaches to kids and show them that. But, Instead of instead of selling 42nd Street to Disney and letting them clean everything up like they did, they had just shut down the porno shops, let all the movie theaters stay open, and rented out those porno shop places to more reputable businesses, and then all of those theaters could still be second-run theaters like the New Beverly out in L.A., you know? Like, they could still be showing second-run Grindhouse movies and stuff there, and just, you know, just... They didn't have to get rid of everything. They could have just gotten rid of the yeah. porno. And and that would have driven, you know, more of the unsavory characters away. I mean, that even, even back before that happened, a lot of the movie theaters had, that had, like, uh, you know, a balcony, they would, they would tell people who went in that were 
obviously more reputable. They'd tell them to sit up in the balcony to watch the movie, and then they let all the junkies and the drunks and you know, down, down, down on the floor. No, like, no, no, no. Oh, since they, all right. So the balcony was for the junkies, and the floor seats were for the reputable people. No, the the floor for the junkies was for the it's like Frank Kimmelotter told he told this story when he took one of his friends there, and all of a sudden, in between their seats, someone jacked off on the balcony, then whap, but he comes to rest. Again, most of the people that own those theaters, there's no way to just do what you because they had let the parents on the shit. They didn't let the pound and all it. Hell, most of the new films by the time. Well, you've seen the film Shakedown, right? That was the last film we saw on the do. Right. You know, the one with uh, Sam Elliott and uh, Peter Weller. The last film to ever get on the dude. And you know why how close it was? It was during the you know the scene where the Sam Elliott is just running down the dude chasing the guy with a gun blah, 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 blah. Right. Right behind them. I mean literally right behind them as they were shooting. They were tearing down the DA. Someone's like, hurry, we have to get out of Why? Because we don't fucking need these guys. They're going to fucking tell us to get the fuck out and just tear everything down in front of us. But here's the basketball story. Well, you know that scene where Dad, the, the father gets killed in the basement, and there's like all sorts of bizarre shit laying in the walls, like crates and walls and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know why that shit says? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. The Anko uh, has rumored to have been one of the theaters that had a lot of uh, specific crime not only junkies passed out in the theater, but uh, there's a story that circulates that there was a gang of guys who would target Asians because at the time, if you were Asian and you were wearing a suit and you went down to 42nd Street, presumed that you were wealthy. So... A lot of times, uh, Asians would go into the, the theaters down on 42nd Street, and these gang members would sit on either side of them and then, uh, you know, threaten them with knives and say, you know, all right, give us all your money or we're going to stab you. And this is one of the things that we never really talked about over the course of our two hours tonight, but... uh a lot of, you know, 
there's a lot of stories about 42nd Street with people like smoking weed while the movie's on and drinking beer in the theaters and stuff. And it was kind of like a free for all with. have any do you have any good stories about any time did you ever get to experience 42nd street in its heyday no but i went to a theater like that in business once it was a nasty we were like cruising it was like 92 and we were like cruising out me and my friends in nashville and we drove by this theater and bowling point with uh Uh, well, 
Second Street in its heyday. Uh, my friend, Isaac, my friend Isaac and I went, and uh, my friend Isaac, he's kind of a weirdo artist dude. He's never had a real job in his life. I mean, not that being an artist isn't a real job. I'm just saying that's all he's ever done. He's he's a really good artist, so he just sells his artwork and. And he does a lot of drugs and he drinks a lot, or at least he did back then. I don't know. For, for now, I can't speak for him, but but back then he used to drink a lot, do a lot of drugs. So, uh, so he he was a dumpster diver. Like he, you know, he'd seriously jump in a dumpster and just dig around for anything that might be usable. <clears throat> And we were wandering down 42nd Street back when it was still sleazy. And he jumped into a dumpster behind a porno store, which is questionable, questionable attitude, uh, activity, uh, rather. Um, you know, we're talking about 42nd Street back when they still had, like, you know, those jerk-off booths and stuff. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I don't know. But he jumped into a, a dumpster and he pulled out a bunch of old, like, vintage uh, porno paperbacks uh, from the store. I guess they had just thrown a bunch of them in the trash because they weren't selling. So, uh, uh, oh, I did. Yeah, I took them. Yeah, I've got them. I've got them to this day. Yeah, I've got them to this day. Yeah, they probably are. I, I don't know. I think most everything. I think most everything yeah. that I have is worth money. I have a lot of weird collectibles and stuff, but I don't know. I kind of hold on to it because I like my collection of weird, exotic stuff that I can show off to people when they come to my house, and I can be like, "Hey, hey look how cool I am!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's but, right. And I'd be like, and I'd have like a uh, paper in my back pocket with all the food and everything. They had one corn under, and I'd be like, hey, hey, go on, give me some of that drink. Look, 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 look. Oh, shit. Still, still, still. What? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> was an actual copy of Orange of the Dead, written by Ed Wood. Oh, nice. That yeah. was $150 for it. Yeah, I thought we might talk about Ed Wood a little bit earlier tonight, but I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't really a big 42nd Street. No. Uh, no, he wasn't really big. I want to say the best books that I've read on 42nd Street was this one, and the first one would be a whole bag of crazy. By Pete Janella, aka Forty Second Street. Right. 
But yeah. there is either an issue with the either the haunted nether world or the well basically the book on Andy Milligan. The two Milligan books and off Broadway. Probably Milligan started making emails first at the people who were the first directors of the cafe in the Bible. <clears throat> so you got like a part of the 42nd Street game because you know how big those places are. Yeah. If I it's could really suggest... Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, since we're closing in towards the end of the show, I was just going to say, if I could suggest to people who are more interested, uh, you know, want to find out more about 42nd Street, uh, Bill Landis did an amazing magazine in the 80s called Sleazoid Express, where uh, he was actually a projectionist on 42nd Street, and he wrote a number of he did a fanzine uh called Sleazoid Express and there's actually a book version of it that you can about what's that what I said about Landis about twenty minutes ago. No. I I'm not I'm not saying that you I'm not saying that you didn't say it. I'm just I'm just hammering in the point. He did the he did the zine. I'm I'm round I'm I'm rounding out I'm rounding things out and well now I can't hear you at all but can you hear me now yeah but also. Synapse Films has an amazing collection of 42nd Street trailers uh, available on DVD and Blu-ray. If you ever want to check out some of the movies that we talked about tonight, as well as hundreds of other 42nd Street movies. perception about what a grindhouse film really is because we've we've skewed it you know but not not necessarily in a bad way I mean I think a lot of the directors who are carrying on that tradition are they're doing it in the in the spirit but you know 
once we got past Tarantino and Rodriguez doing their grindhouse film, uh, you know, now a lot of other people are just going with the fake, like, film scratches and, you know, color bleeding and whatnot. And uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's just getting kind of tiresome now. If you want the real deal, you got to go back and watch the real movies. And, uh, so I mean, you my question, uh, I'm avoiding your question. I can't hear what you're saying. You're breaking up again. Have you ever heard or read the infamous answer of Freemason on Joel Reed? No, no, I have not. It's the only issue of a magazine that had to be pulled because of fucking libel. He tried to say that Joel Reed was a cold dealing him who sucked in to get directing jobs. Uh. And Joel Reed put the point of view on his ass and they basically, if you have a copy of that issue, it is frightening huh. because every issue was pulled because it was taken off of there. And for my book, and if you look up any bibliography of Freemasonry Press, that issue is pretty much not on. Well, I have a magazine out that's pretty good called uh, uh, Find Out Purgatory. Hmm. No. Yeah, he writes about Grindhouse books and stuff. And right now, if you uh, go to his uh, Facebook or email him there, he's having a sale where he's selling his uh, DVDs that he did, his uh, 16-millimeter porno DVD. And an issue of his magazine for about 15, I think it's like 20 bucks, and you get like... uh, uh, three DVDs and an issue of the magazine of his choice. You'll have to get nice. to him, but look at Pete Chanella. All right. I'll try to get him to come on for next week just to promote him, just to, uh, so we can pimp out his shit for Christmas. You know. Because basically everything that makes up the DVDs and the magazine shelf goes for him and his dog off the street. Dogs off the street. It could be fun. Yeah, we yeah we haven't had a guest on for a while. Never had a guest on. Well, not on this show. We've done. We've had guests on yeah. other shows that we together, but yeah.
am always buying more DVDs, watching more physical media, always. If you are something we're video fans, this is truly the last month to get all of their shit. Because they're shutting down again. Dollars because we don't. Are you there? Yeah, I can barely hear you. You keep cutting in and out. You said that thing about me mentioning Bill. You said that thing about mentioning Bill Landis before we signed off, and I didn't. I I could only half hear you when you were talking about that. That's why I brought it up again. You you've been chopping in and out yeah. for the last half hour. Yeah, I can don't, hear you fine don't. now. Well. The thing is this, is that this is the last thing. This is the last, we mentioned a lot tonight, but this is the last month that Something Weird Video is going to be putting, going to keep their DVDRs in print. So if you buy a bulk <laughs> order, you can get them for a sale price of $7 each. Right. But at the end of the month, it's the end of an era. One of our uh, episodes uh, this month. Right. Goodbye. And I think you. Yeah. Oh, we we definitely have to do something for something weird. They're my favorite home video company of all time. So. We'll definitely have to do something about well, that. Well, they're the only DVD company. I've got a whole DVD shelf just for their stuff. I have two shelves of their stuff on DVD and a whole other shelf of their stuff on VHS. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I, saying they're the only one of the companies that I own, I own that many of their titles. Me too. For sure. Yeah. And with that, we'll see you next week as we talk about the drive-in and really how did it get so screwed up for people mentioning A and B, you know. We'll talk about, that'll give us a chance to talk about the difference between the drive-in and the deuce, which we talked about tonight. We'll draw some comparisons yeah, and right. Yeah. Good night. God bless. Have a great Christmas season this year, even though raw I do Thanks for listening, everybody. Be safe. Wear a mask. Wear your- Wash your hands. Yeah, wear your fucking mask. And rest <laughs> in peace to the toe cutters. And rest in peace, Pat Patter. Indeed. If you watched WWE back in the 80s, you would know, well, some of the stuff he did, like he was the guy who created WrestleMania. He was the guy who came to Vince's idea for the Royal Rumble. Right. Well, good night, everybody. All right. Have a good one.
Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.